Well, hello, sir. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. That's good. How are your levels? <laughs> I was going to ask you how the tuples were, actually. <laughs> oh, I got you first. Uh, the levels are good. The levels are good. Yeah, it's been a it's been a pretty productive week. I'm fully aware that it is basically the last full week in October, and I had sort of stated that I wanted to have alpha users in in the month of October. So the deadline is looming. This always happens close to the end of a deadline where things start to come into focus and you start to realize just how much you really want to get done before deadline comes. I had a few stressful days this week. Actually, one day in particular, it was it was kind of uncharacteristically stressful for me. And it's not like I was had any real reason to be stressed. I was just working on a feature and I expected the feature to take me a couple of hours. And then I went down one path and realized like, oh, this is not the right direction. And I kind of needed to rewind some of my work and then and take a different approach. And then that was going to take a few more hours. And then I sort of was coming up against the fact that I'm working in this kind of newer tech stack. And so it's not quite as fast as it would be if I were, you know, I was just envisioning building the same feature in Rails with my old stack that I'm accustomed to. And so that was frustrating. And so by the end of the day, I was just, I was in a terrible mood. Even the prospect of like going to cook dinner just felt like daunting and like way too much mental you know, work to even do that task that I normally really enjoy. And so I sort of had to talk myself off that edge a little bit and try to figure out like, what's going on? Like, why am I so stressed? And I think, I think it's partly the deadline, partly just frustration at this point in the project and still not having revenue and all the things kind of compounding together. But I I did have a good following day. Like I kind of reset, I relaxed that evening. And then I got up the next morning, got up at a decent hour. And I like, took care of a bunch of chores just around the house that needed to happen. Like I cleaned up the dishes and, and did a few other things, clean up my desk, just doing those few little things kind of reset my perspective on the day. And I just had a completely different mindset, you know, realizing how fragile our human psychology is and how we can nudge it in these little ways. And it's crazy that, that we can do that. You know, you're kicking off all these ideas I have for things to talk about. So did you successfully kind of talk yourself off the ledge in the evening? Like, did you have some relaxation techniques that worked for you? Yeah, I just, it just happened gradually. Like I'm, I'm normally able to kind of will myself out of like work mode. And usually once I can get my mind off of tasks and kind of flip over into like, whether it's like taking a walk or watching a TV show or doing something like that, I had a noticeably harder time on that particularly bad day, like snapping myself out of it. But I just sort of... I guess powered through it and eventually eventually I like forgot about work for long a long enough period of time where I was able to kind of stabilize I guess. I don't know. Gotcha. Hmm. Did you get any exercise that day? Good question. No, I don't I don't think I did. Hmm. And that's probably would have helped, honestly. Yeah. How was your sleep that night before too? I'm curious. Do you remember? Um, I'm pretty sure that I didn't get in as much sleep as I would have wanted because the only reason I know that is because I was trying this week to set my alarm earlier and, and make sure I got up at a reasonable time so I could get right to work and keep, you know, powering through my task list. And I, I did struggle. Like I went to bed too late a couple of days. And so I definitely like pushed it a little bit on quantity of sleep too. So I'm sure that was a factor, you know? Yeah, probably. I mean, those are my triggers for sure. Yeah. That's the first thing I was thinking of. It's like, what what might have gone into this? What were the ingredients to this? Because it, it may have been the breaking point or like the the eventual trigger was you can't get this feature shipped and it's super frustrating. But that then like spiraled into what am I doing with my life? How am I ever going to ship this product? I'm not making any revenue, all this stuff. 
And I feel like for me, when I find my brain doing that, it's usually because I've neglected some other self-care kind of things. There's actually a podcast episode from back in Giant Robots days that I think I recorded with Chris Toomey. And the title is something like Productivity Starts with a Haircut. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so I was talking about how like I, when the little things in my personal life don't feel under control, it's way harder for me to be productive at work. And so something as small as like, I need a damn haircut and I can't get in there and I'm annoyed with how I look right now and it sucks. And like, it just totally spirals and these things affect each other so much. Yeah. I think there's something like I tweeted about this and and someone was, a couple of people chimed in and they were like, yeah, this was like a, I don't know, some practice they did in the army or something where you would get up and like make your bed every day. And like that just kind of like set your day off on the right foot. And I don't know, I'm, I'm one who can tend to get almost too one track minded about whatever work I have for that day where like I will tell myself, like, I don't even have time to, you know, spend more than five minutes making breakfast. Like I just need to like be really fast at this thing so that I can get right to work. That's like a tendency that I kind of need to try to push back against a little bit where it's like spending the, you know, half an hour to 45 minutes it took to do all the dishes, clean up my desk, get clutter away from my uh, line of sight like just doing those things, that was time totally well spent because it had such an outsized impact on the rest of my day. So totally. Yeah. Everything is interconnected. It feels like, at least to me, where when I have a bad work productivity day, my evening usually suffers. Like it, it puts me off my, my mood for, for a little while. Like what happened with you where it usually resets the next day. Like I have another chance at it, which is nice. So sometimes I'm just like, I just got to go to bed early tonight and like get up and try to hit it again tomorrow. But like I, I do find like my personal stuff affects my work stuff, which affects my personal stuff. And it's just, it's just my brain doesn't know or care that there's like a work personal division. That's like pretty arbitrary, right? Yeah. It's like my brain will betray me sometimes because I'm like, this is what I love to do is like writing code and solving problems. But sometimes if I'm working on like a really tricky problem like if i was just purely in an isolated engineering environment where my sole responsibility is just to come up with creative engineering solutions then i think i would enjoy it more but i also have the pressure of like i can't be spending a whole day on this feature you know i need to get i've got 50 other things i need to do you know in the next five days so this thing that's problem i would normally enjoy like working through and coming up with some really elegant solution i just want to get this done you know and that's where i start being tempted to really cut corners then that makes me feel guilty if I'm going to cut too many corners and skip the tests. And so I'm, I'm always in like this battle with myself, I guess. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think we're going to be in the trenches for a while. I think that's, I think these battles will occur regularly. I'm glad we're talking about them because it's, it seems so much like this is, um, there's just so much of a mental game here where it's not just like, oh, like, can you build a product? Can you talk to customers? It's like, can you stay sane while you try to do all these things? I think there's maybe a blog post that I'm going to write this week that kind of summarizes things that I've picked up along the way, like the doing of doing a few small things in the morning. And another big one for me has been like leaving some achievable task, not quite finished at the end of the day. So I can pick up on that the next day. That's one that a lot of people talk about. And I think there's probably four or five other things I could probably come up with that I've encountered before. And I think it'd be nice to have these in one list so I can kind of try to hit as many of them as possible. Totally. One thing that I have started that hasn't really been useful yet, but I'm, I'm hoping or maybe maybe it'll work is just like a, a list of things that make me happy. And they're like, there's screenshots of text messages that were great. And like just other things I like and just like good news, basically, where it's like, okay, I'm feeling crappy. I need something. I also have like a label in Gmail that's just like people saying nice things. 
people are super cool and will sometimes just email me email me and be like hey like i just want you to know like i got a lot of value from whatever and like that's such a cool note to get and it's like it's nice feeling of of happiness and all that but then it just it goes into the archive basically after i thank them uh and so like knowing i can just pull those up again and be like oh yeah look at this like things are okay is useful i think I think so, especially because we're in a world right now where it's like the just the news cycle and everything is just so negative all the time. And like it's easy to get kind of sucked into the vortex of feeling negative, especially if you're stressed, uh, you know, and when are we not have a low latency of stress, you know, I unfollowed a, a good number of people recently on Twitter, um, not because I don't like them, but because they tend to tweet bad news, basically. And I'm like, yep, I know that there are things in the world that are not so good, but I want to opt into this like when I'm like ready and in a good place to read about this kind of thing. Like it was just getting to be too much Whereas, like sometimes I would pop open Twitter randomly and then like 40 seconds later, I'm pissed about something. And I was just like, oh, this sucks. I can't keep feeding this to my brain. I need to stay up with what's happening, but I want to do that on a polling basis and not like on a push basis. Like, yes, like no one has the right to push bad news in front of my face. (laughs) I will pull for that as, as needed. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. Yep. How have you felt like today? How was today? Today was pretty good. Yeah. I, I had smaller tasks today. I started a task Like last night, I was just kind of sitting around and my wife was watching a TV show and I was just sitting there on the couch and I did something I don't normally do, which is I pulled my laptop over and just like thought, you know, I have a little bit of like borrowed time right now. Let me see if I can just start one of these and see if it comes together faster than I expected. And sure enough, it did. So that set me off on a good foot today where like it was a little mention completion in the in the editor like so when you hit the at sign, it shows a little list of, you know, users that you can mention and auto completes. And I thought that's kind of a vital component, but it was going to be tricky to get wired up well with Elm because, you know, like JavaScript and Elm talking to each other can be a little bit hairy sometimes. The wire up was much smoother than I thought. So that that set the whole tone for my day today. Nice. Yeah, that's great. Hmm. Yeah, it's those those little wins really keep you going. They sustain you. That's what's so draining about those like long drawn out, can't get it figured out things. They're brutal. I find that my failure state is typically actually when I don't know what to do. Maybe I have a clear goal, but an amorphous path towards the goal. I will sometimes get very stuck in that. Like that's what my productivity is. It's worst is like, okay, I don't really know how to solve this. And I'm kind of intimidated by some of this. And so like, maybe I should just look at Twitter again, even though it made me mad last time I looked at it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And I, when I get in that phase, I usually try to like, start making lists of knowns and then just make them as granular as I possibly can. It's like, well, I know I at least need a control right here and I need a thing right here and I need an API endpoint that does this particular thing. That's not going to, you know, getting anywhere close to the full wrapping my arms around the full task, but at least there are small ingredients that I need. And just the happiness of checking off tasks will often help push me through as I like kind of noodle on the, the, the harder parts of the task. Yeah, I like that. Even just like getting something in writing seems to help. It usually makes it seem less intimidating or or whatnot. Like uh, that's one reason I like journaling when I have something that's like upsetting me in particular is like often just writing it down makes it a little bit less intense. Yeah. And all these all these coping strategies. I know, right? <laughs> it's just like this is it's just therapy sessions. <laughs> like a therapy mastermind and yep. brain crazy brain coping strategies. Yeah. And sorry, listeners, if you're tired of hearing us talk about this same topic over and over again, but it's if you're in this space, like it's so uh, ever present. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, so um, I can give a short update. Cool. Yeah, things are things are going well. We just did a retro today because one of us is going away for the weekend, and so our spirits are pretty good. Uh, the marketing has been going really well. When I like when I wasn't focusing on marketing, we were adding like I don't know thirty people to the email list or something uh, a week, and this last week was like one hundred and twenty. Some of that stuff has been paying off. That feels really good. So marketing is starting to come together. I mean, it's it's a super long process, but just like it's you know that's nice to see. I emailed the pairing guide subscribers today and being like, here's what's new. And it was like a bunch of stuff. I was like, oh, there's three new articles and two videos and some audio. And I added a study to this thing. And so it was, it was nice to, to have some stuff to report there. Yeah, it's good to have an excuse to to stay on people's radar, right? Totally. Yeah. So I have a ta- I'm tagged some people that have explicitly requested pairing guide updates. My plan is to just email those people more frequently. But like I'm gonna, so I didn't email the full tuple list, but I will do plan on doing that in probably a week or two. I want to have like a tuple update and then a pairing guide update to go together. So it's not like, why am I getting all these pairing guide things if they're not interested in that particular? Yeah, topic. I actually have a related question for you if I can interject real quick. So I have the handle reservation list, which is like 5,200 people-ish right now. And so but there's a few challenges with this list. One that it's not deduped, so a lot of people have reserved multiple handles and used like the plus sign trick to generate, you know, multiple Gmail addresses. So when I send to this list, there's gonna be have there's gonna have to be some like way for me to say like, okay, you probably got this multiple times in your inbox because I don't think there's a good way for I could try to to dedupe it myself and you know search for plus signs and remove them and kind of like do that or i could just email the whole list and say like click this button to basically opt back in with the email address you want to receive updates from or something like that but i know that i would lose a chunk of those for like opting into emails but that may not be a bad thing because i also don't want to necessarily assume that this whole list wants to be getting like regular updates from me they may just want to get like a notice when the product is ready like i've reserved my handle now let me know when i can use it you know that sounds a little dangerous to only email them then well yeah i I wouldn't i wouldn't just do like one email but the question is would i start like priming those people again once it's closer to like a product they can get their hands on or should i start putting them into onto the list where i'm like kind of doing regular like developery type of updates you know what i mean or should i try to get opt-in from them on that yeah, like, did you set expectations of that when they signed up? Um, all I said on the, well, it's like, I'm going to look at the form right now. I said, I will send out periodic updates to keep you in the loop. That's, that's what was my little. I mean, sounds like you could probably send them periodic updates then. Like if you hit them once a month, that doesn't sound like too crazy to me. Yeah, that's true. And right, right now I haven't emailed the list in too long. Like I need to get back on that. And so I've been kind of thinking about like, you know, there's I've been journaling a bunch and there's there's stuff I can definitely talk to the list about. But now I need to kind of re-engage them and rewarm it up a little bit. And so I'm just kind of it's been on my mind of like, how do I get these people engaged without overdoing it and getting, you know, feeling like I'm sending them more email than they wanted to. And because I don't want people to fully opt out. I want to be able to let them know when the product launches. Like, I don't want them to be unsubscribed, too many to be unsubscribed by the point that I'm actually like ready to introduce the product to the world yeah um so going back to the deduping thing if it were me i think i would want you to dedupe it for me because and it seems like that shouldn't be too tricky yeah i mean really it's just like look for a plus sign anything on the left hand side of the plus sign is the canonical i think right and so if someone has multiple just pick one 
you'll have some people that will do like Ben plus level at whatever. And so I would want to get email there. But if I had Ben plus level two plus three plus three plus four, I'm not going to want four copies for sure. It would be, I think it would be nice to your users to just have you be savvy enough to realize they don't want that. So maybe I'll do that for the, for like the marketing to get them onto the marketing email database, but then still keep obviously like all the handle reservations where I have a mapping of email to handles. And when I'm actually ready to like let people claim their handle, then send an, send an email to each, to each copy and say like, here is your special magic link to claim this handle or something like that, you know? Sure. Yeah. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. So when I went to email the tuple launch list, I hadn't contacted them in a little bit. And so my first sentence after like, hey, was uh, you're getting this email because you signed up at this thing for tuple, which is a remote pair programming tool. And somebody explicitly replied and said, thank you for reminding me what your thing is. I constantly get emails from people and I have no idea why I signed up or what it is. And like this person explicitly called it out. Uh, So consider that. Totally. Yeah. I, I'm, I've been in that camp before where like I end up on these startup email lists and then I'm like, what does your thing even do? Yeah. Right. And so that's clearly like, they, they clearly kind of oopsed it there, right? Like they, if they had been emailing you a little bit more frequently, you would have been able to recall, hopefully. But if you have uh, dropped the ball, like I have, uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, like, like we have, I guess, yeah. then it's, I think it's worth just like, oh, by the way, like, you know, this is what this is. And, you know, a link to the site, but also like a, a one sentence, this is what, this is the thing. Remember the thing? I think that was useful. The other thing is, so you, you're, you're talking about the handle reservation triggered this thing, um, reminded me of a thing. So we talked about this idea and I don't, I haven't really thought this through very much. I have no idea this is a terrible idea, but it, it, it would kind of address one thing you're seeing, which is we were toying with the idea of opening up handle reservations, but making it cost a little something. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It would solve your problem, which is the, or solve ish your problem. Whereas, like, people wouldn't reserve 10 handles if it cost a little bit of money. You know, it shows a lot of intent, gets credit cards in the Stripe database that could later be charged. I, I'm almost positive I would, we would do something like, and if you sign up for Tuple, then you, this gets rolled into your first month's whatever. How does that strike you on, on first hearing? I think that could be really interesting. I've kind of I've thought along the same lines of like, how do I, would that be enough of an incentive for people? to do it or what I need, like, is just the handle enough or do I need more incentive to get a little bit of money, like pri- priority in, in line for, you know, when rolling launches begin or something like that, which is something you could also add in that would definitely like decrease the number of people submitting that form. So then, you know, you would still need to have obviously your, you know, general email sign up for free alongside it. If I would have done that from day one, I would probably have many fewer email addresses at this point in the database because there was only one path to get your email on the list and that was through this kind of FOMO-y thing of like reserve your handle and so I think it would weaken that incentive just a little bit but but also arguably having a little bit of cash attached to it is is a good filter you know the question is is filtering good like is it better to just have a super wide top of funnel and then because like who knows if a huge potential customer might enter their email for free but not for x dollars yeah like i think you could view it one of two ways and i'm not sure which one's correct and that was i was going for just super wide funnel when i did the you know the fomo thing and it's i think it's working pretty well but 
Yeah, I don't know. Was that the right move or I don't know. I don't it know. does. Yeah, right. Yeah, and we never will. It's like anyone can get can get on the email list for free if you want to reserve your handle. It's let's say four dollars, five dollars, something like that. Um, and that's just like it's just enough that it's like now there's a different level of like lead list where you have like the whole list and then it's like, okay. And then there were X people that paid some money to reserve a handle. I, I think promising them like first crack at it as it, as you started inviting people is probably actually a really good way of, of justifying the cost. But also it's, it's like, that's who you'd want to invite because they're already showing like, yeah, we're like, I, I want this badly enough to already pay a little bit now. So we could help you sort of prioritize later, which could be interesting. Yeah. And I also think, it could be interesting to it, like in, since I haven't been asking for money on that form, you know, if I were to keep it the way it is right now, I'm trying to think of what's the next step I could do to get kind of that same indicator of seriousness. Like, could I sell, you know, just open up like early access to the beta program in, and you have to pay a little bit of money to get that. And it could be worth testing because if it doesn't work out, then no harm, no foul. You know, if not a lot of people buy it, that's doesn't really change my course of action i'm going to continue beta and then eventual launch but if it does happen to bring in a bunch of money that could be just be a good like indicator of who's serious so yep something i'm thinking yeah. about when i when i first threw out that uh, idea what number came into your head for for a sign up yeah to like reserve your handle and like to get to the front of the line you could even put a better name on it like if you called it like the mm, early supporter club or something like if you made it sound like a thing as opposed to you're paying to reserve your handle it's like you're paying to join a group and the group has these benefits yeah first time that popped in my head was like ten dollars or or maybe just under ten dollars you know nine dollars or something like that yeah um yeah okay i wouldn't expect it to generate that much revenue honestly like i think the revenue will be kind of be like okay sure like $300 or whatever is like fine. Even $1000 like great but like still this is not it's not like needle moving. It's so, more of the more of the symbolic like this person was serious enough to transfer money. Also, I think if you say like oh and by the way when you pay this this goes towards your first month of tuple, it's like now I think it's almost like it's kind of like a backdoor commitment type mechanism where it's like people want to be consistent with their previous actions. So they're like, well, I already paid $10 to make sure that I like, could get in here and, and get some... I, I know I'm getting $10 off the first month. So now that I'm able to get the first month, I guess I should just finish this thing up because I already I know I have it now. So yeah, that is a very... That's a powerful psychology thing too, right? Is getting people to... People want to be consistent with their... Right. With their previous so, yeah. commitments. I don't know. Yeah. I do kind of foresee a little bit of like a people being like, you're effing crazy kind of thing. Uh, but that might just be like, maybe who cares? Also, I, I probably just means I'm positioning it wrong or pitching it wrong. I do think it's like if you just said like, it's $10 to reserve your handle. They're like on a thing that doesn't exist. Like, what are you talking about? But if it was like to join the early tuple supporter club or something, feels a lot better. It's sort of like a, an ad hoc kind of crowdfunding model in a sense where yeah, you're exactly. like, yeah, you're not selling a good to them, you know, that doesn't yet exist because that feels sketchy, you know, but you're just, it's, it's sort of a token. Like it's, it's being known that this is a token, um, yeah. Contribution. Just, right. You're supporting it. Yep. And like we'll, we'll spend that on groceries to make lunches while we develop. This <laughs> exactly. Well, if you do that, you should have a picture of your lunch that you made with the. Uh, with the totally, <laughs> that can be that can be one of the benefits. Is we'll send you pictures of our food. Yes, <laughs> because we don't get enough of that on a daily basis. No. <laughs> nope. 
Cool. Well, thanks for talking that through with me. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Do you want to go to our question thread? Sure. Yeah, so I just decided randomly. I was like, I was feeling like this was a thinner update week for me, so I I um, posed the question on Twitter, and we got 10, 10 folks so far who've just tossed various questions at us and so i figured we could we could pull uh we're doing pretty good on time we could could pull like one or two today and then keep drawing from this bucket sounds good should we just go in order uh yeah let's see i'll I'll pull one off so the first question is how will we segue into talking about steve sugar and adam wadden this week (laughs) (laughs) by this question (laughs) yes question answered your the answer to your question is your question exactly (laughs) All right, next. Do you want to do this drip one? I feel like this is this would be uh, you. Sure. Yeah. So Sam Selikoff asks, uh, when working on drip, when did you and Rob start doing, quote unquote, sales and or hire a sales team? At what stage do you expect this to happen with level? So when we were pre lead pages acquisition, we didn't officially have a sales team. We just had Anna, <laughs> who was our customer success aficionado, and she did a lot of demos with customers, which was sort of, if you think about it, a, a sales exercise that was going on because people were wanting to see the product and she was basically showing them the product and touting its benefits. And then, you know, if she did her job well, they would become convinced to ultimately onboard and become paying customers. It was sort of like a an inbound sales type of approach, I guess, because we had all this, all this marketing energy going on and that was just solely fueled by Rob in, you know, in the beginning. And then when his plate started to get too full, we started thinking about like, well, it would be nice. We, we hired engineers first. We had two junior engineers, and those were our first two hires in addition to our support guy, Andy, who was a contractor. That was like priority was to kind of move the product forward first. And Rob just sort of did all the marketing stuff. And then eventually it was like, OK, his plate's too full. Who can we bring on the team to help with? kind of marketing activities and then oh we have a lot a lot of people asking for demos and rob was kind of recording videos and doing some live demos but really he you know didn't feel like the the best person to be doing these these types of of demos so that's where we started looking for looking for someone who could kind of wear multiple hats because we were we were small enough at that stage where like it it didn't make sense to hire someone who was too narrow in their um, scope of abilities and that's when we found anna how deep was it? how how long were you into the product now at this point i think it was about i feel like it was about a year into it okay yeah i remember like when you guys were getting started you were manually onboarding people right in small batches it seemed like yes we did we started with the rolling launch um so we would we would send you know invites out to a cohort and kind of see what needs arose and what we needed to do to onboard them and once we felt like that was calm then we did another batch and so on i can't wait to hit that point by the way oh me too that would be so nice like i sent an email and people sign up for the product and pay us money like yeah that'd be so good it's great it was it felt so nice once that started happening (laughs) yeah and like you invite a cohort and like nothing blows up yep like they figured out how to use it they're having success it doesn't break that'd be man i'm excited totally Okay, so about a year in, you were like, Rob had a little bit too much inbound on top of the other stuff. And so you started looking for someone who could do sales and other things. Yes. Yep. So I think she wrote, she wrote some content, did some content marketing. If I recall, like there was strong demand for demos. Drip was becoming a 
more complex product. So people would sign up and, and not fully get it right away. And they knew, they knew enough to know the potential of what it could do. And we did have, you know, at that point, a lot of kind of early adopter types who were very technical, but we started to get, as the product got more mature in the market, we started to get more and more people who were like, I want this power. I recognize the power. I don't know what to do with it. I need someone to just show me. That's kind of still easier sales than like true sales where like, you know, you're kind of you're either going out and prospecting for people and trying to show it to them and convince them cold or or even just kind of in between where like, I don't know, someone's really skeptical about whether your product's going to work and, you know, sell it to me. And so we didn't really start doing that kind of sales until until after acquisition. There were some there was, I think, maybe two salespeople in house at lead pages. And so they experimented with kind of doing wow, just two. Yeah. And now the sales team is is a bit larger. I know that that organization is still kind of in its early stages, but growing. And I think, you know, now that the product is even even more mature, there's even more demand among larger enterprises. And when you're selling to larger companies, you kind of need, you know, salespeople to shepherd the process. Hmm. Well, so Sam asked, to what stage do you expect this to happen with level? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I, at this point, it's not in my near term horizon. I think that level certainly has the potential to be a product that is sold by salespeople into, you know, larger enterprises. I don't think it will necessarily make sense to, to try to use that model with, you know, smaller, like smaller SaaS companies and software businesses like you would find in the microconf crowd, for example. So I think I would like to focus you know predominantly on those early adopter types the one who just get it the one who are the ones who are coming through my kind of inbound marketing funnels channels right now i think that's probably the the cheapest and wisest way place to focus early on but i do think there probably will come a day when it would make sense to kind of state the case to larger enterprises um i have a good friend who's a in SaaS sales and he he's like oh whenever you're ready to start selling level i think i could sell it so mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I could see you doing that like sooner rather than later because of the nature of your product. Like you, I think you will require a sales process because it's like change your behavior, do a bunch of things, everyone in a group, let's get everyone on board and signed up and trying it out and all this stuff. Drip, I think you could probably sign up with alone as a marketer. And that's just pretty much fine. But like level doesn't make sense by yourself. Yeah, that's certainly true. Like I think there's some case studies about like how Slack grew and propagated through enterprises and it certain it definitely did start with like small teams inside an org and then kind of you know mushroomed out from there and once you have like a small team or a few small teams inside of a larger company using it then it's more of a straightforward sales pitch where you, you reach out to the cio or cto and say like we've got all these teams inside of your org using the product do you want to unify billing and start to make this more official you know, that's kind of like the the grassroots way to approach it. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that how that works. And I think it's, you know, it'll be pretty straightforward with smaller companies where you have, you know, just the founder or a few decision makers who are who can just choose to adopt stuff. But once you start getting into larger companies, it'll yeah, I'll have to see how early on I actually need sales. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I imagine it's going to be you you doing it for mm -hmm. a while. Mm -hmm. I suspect you'll discover like you have to do it. And then, you know, at one point, maybe you can hire for it. 
Patrick McKenzie was just tweeting recently how he sees a lot of SaaS founders who quickly want to like, how do I hand off sales? How do I hire someone to, to, to do sales for me? And he's like, no, nah, that doesn't really work. It almost never is effective. You have to figure out the sales process yourself. And then later, maybe you can start delegating it. Yeah, I think especially when when there's that period of a lot of inbound interest, but still needing to be sold, I feel like it could be a smooth on ramp into like, you gradually find yourself in more and more of a salesy type of position. And then you kind of, you kind of know what works. And then you can hand that off to a professional once, once it really becomes a considerable effort. Still, FT had a post on Stripe somewhere, Stripe Atlas, something, something. He was talking about the way to grow a sales organization is to start with the reps. Like you start at the bottom, you figure out the process yourself, and then you hire a couple people to try to implement that low-level process, and you manage them. And then when you have too many of them, then you hire a like mid-level salesperson. And then when you have too many of them, you hire like a VP of sales type thing. And people want to start at the top and be like, oh, let's hire the VP of sales, and he'll figure out all that stuff, or he or she will figure out all that stuff out. And it's like, mm, maybe, but he didn't, he didn't like that idea. Yeah, yeah. It seems risky. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Cool. Uh, want to do one more? Uh, sure. Yeah. When you like. So Adam Gibson asked, I'm interested to know if if either of you suffer from imposter syndrome, and if so, how you deal with it. This is something I've never been able to shake, no matter how much experience in something I have. I don't think I, I, I suffer from what, from like the traditional imposter syndrome idea, which is like, people are going to discover that I am a fraud at some point. I doubt my abilities in this thing, but, I, but what, I'm, I'm, what I'm worried about is that everyone will soon discover that in, in reality, I actually am not any good at any of this stuff. And I did experience that a little bit at the uh, earlier phases of my career. So I have plenty of doubts about my abilities. They just don't take that same shape for me personally, where it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty frequently worried, like, do I have what it takes in this area or this area to actually make a company work or to, to do the things I want to do? I guess I'm, I'm fairly over the like people will discover I'm a fraud. And I, I honestly, I think this podcast is part of the reason why, where it's like, I'm just constantly talking about my weaknesses and like the things I'm worried about and like when I have bad days and whatnot. And so it's like, I think everyone knows I'm kind of a fraud <laughs> or like, you know, everyone knows I think that I have weaknesses. And I, I think that's maybe the heart of that there is like you, you worry that if, this things, if these things get out and people discover you're mortal, that then they will build this, this big uproar, this big backlash against you. And I think like working in public so much has helped me avoid some of that. I think similarly, like I haven't, I haven't felt it too much lately, but before I got into the podcast, I mean, this is, I think one of my bigger, like underlying concerns with podcasting in general is like feeling like I don't necessarily have, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not really an expert in my field. And you know, like I don't really have interesting thoughts about how to do this stuff. Like I'm just making it up as I go along. But I think like a lot of these healthy communities, like, well, our fellow podcasters in the community and people who go to microconf and this gets talked about a lot, I feel like, which is, I think is really healthy where, you know, everyone recognizes that at certain times in their career, they feel this way, but then you kind of come to realize that most people feel this way. And it's actually, we're actually all sort of imposters in a certain sense, because we're all constantly learning, like none of us have it all figured out. And so it's just kind of, it's the mode we're in, you know? And who would want to live in a world where that weren't true? Like where the only things you did were things you know, knew how to do perfectly well and had no doubts about your abilities in. That sounds very boring to me. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think like one of the things that's really, that's helped me just cope with those types of feelings in general is just when I start to doubt myself and want to just say no to something that puts me outside my comfort zone, I just try to proactively like 
just do it, you know? And that's like, ultimately it worked out well with this podcast. It worked out, it's worked out well with like rowing. Like I had concerns about like, is this like me? Like I don't identify myself as like an athlete. Like I didn't really play sports in high school. So like, this is a sport. Do I do sport? (laughs) (laughs) But like, I just pushed through it and like, sure enough, I was like pretty good at it. And putting yourself into these like hard situations and then overcoming, overcoming things you feared is like a really great way to just keep growing. So yeah, agreed. So Adam, I would say if you, if this is a persistent thing, like you, you say, I've never been able to shake it no matter how much experience I have. That sounds like there's probably some other underlying stuff going on. Like there's something, there's some story in your brain that's been probably put in there by somebody else or maybe yourself, but it's locked in your brain. Like you're telling yourself that story pretty habitually. You're telling yourself something that's true about yourself. If it's really resistant to outside change, I think that's like a great use for therapy. Go talk to a third party who is an expert at paying attention to the things that your brain is telling you. That's And that's like, I think a lot of what therapy is. It's just, there are lots of techniques to help you notice the thoughts you have and to help you like test them and slowly shift them over time. And there's just like a whole profession that's dedicated to that. And so if you haven't tried that, I would totally recommend it. Yep, absolutely. And there's services like, I'm not sure, Adam, if you're a founder, but there are services also like what Sherry Walling offers through Zen Founder, where it's it's like kind of not traditional therapy necessarily, but it's more of founder consulting kind of along the same lines of like these things that we struggle with as founders. So yeah, there's a lot of good resources out there. Yep. I can also recommend Sherry. She's great. Even if you, if you're interested in traditional therapy, I would say that's gotten even easier to, to access recently where there's like more and more, there are therapy apps. Like if you want to do it over a Skype call kind of thing, if you want to do it over text, if you want your iPhone to have therapy messages, like that's, that's totally a thing now, like going to, you don't have to go to someone's office anymore. Yeah. Nice. So there's a bunch of flexibility there, which is, which is great. Very good. All right. I think everybody else is gonna have to wait. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep drawing from this bucket and, uh, keep them coming. If folks out there have questions for us, um, hit us up on Twitter and we'll answer them. Yeah, you can if you want, you can find the thread that Derek tweeted on October twenty fourth, or just just at messages and say I have a question for the podcast, and we'll try to throw it in the queue. Yep, totally. And when we do make a podcast and uh, publish it, uh, where will the notes that describe the things we discussed be? The notes, the essay, you might say, cor- correlating with the episode, can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Very cool. Have a good one. Thanks for listening.